All right. Thank you, Ashley, for your service. Dennis, you as well. Good to see you, brother. David G., and I'm an alcoholic and an addict, and uh, I'm grateful for a sobriety and a recovery date, and Alcoholics Anonymous of August 8th, 1994, and uh, October 1st in 2019, and uh, Sexholics Anonymous. Very grateful to be here tonight. Grateful to be in the chapter working with others. We know by now that if we've carefully followed directions up to this point that we've had an awakening that we can't keep to ourselves. You know, the book says we know you will not want to. And so I'm grateful to be here tonight with you guys. It's, it's good to see everybody. It really is. So let me just say before I get started, something I like to say at a lot of these, whenever I do them, whether it's in person, online, or wherever it may be, that I in no way claim to be the guru of Alcoholics Anonymous, or am I no authority on the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous? I'm just a drunk and an addict who found a way to go through these steps, have an awakening from self, and recover. And that has brought the reward to that is sobriety. Whenever I come to study the book, especially now after three years ago, you know, I'm not just looking to get sober. Of course, that's what we have to do. That's right in our face. But I'm looking to recover from the bondage of self. And that's the only reason that I do these, these big book studies in this way now. So, you know, when we talk about this, we've talked about it for 27 or eight weeks now, however long it's been. We really looked in depth at the nature of the problem, which is self. We have looked at how it sneaks up on it, how it comes at us. We've looked at the steps we have to take in order to identify it, see what it is, and move past it. And so we have moved all the way through these chapters. And when I take a person through the book... We begin in, in the doctor's opinion. We start in the front of the book and we move all the way through reading in the first four chapters and then in, into the fifth one, pretty in-depth, taking a good close look at that. Now, I don't do that because I don't think people know how to read or they can't really understand the book too much. But I know in my own experience, it's very hard to read and comprehend and understand with an unawakened mind. It just is. And so when I read through that with people and we take a good look at the nature of the problem, which itself is very carefully described in the first three chapters. In chapter four, we look at, you know, a power greater than self, how we have lost the power to choose. That's all we did. We disconnected from power. It wasn't because we didn't have a belief of God. Most of us come in here already believing in God, whether we've been in the program or not. We move into the fifth chapter. We look at steps three and four. We look in depth at the self. And then we identify those things in step four. And we take a look at who we had become, not who we are. We had become that based on a narrative that was given to us by self. We took actions based on that, and that brought a lot of destruction. I know in my life and in the lives of a whole lot of others. I admitted that to another human being. I become ready to have God remove that in six and seven. I began to have a transformation, and I started this road into recovery, moved into the eighth and ninth step. And, of course, I've been practicing 10 and 11 all along, and that absolutely brought me to 12. Now, there's not a whole lot I needed to do in 12 other than to gather information on how to sponsor somebody. That automatically started showing up, people seeing the change in my life, and they wanted that. But what I did know, and, and we've been reading through this the last couple of weeks in the front part of this, is there is so much here that I'd miss, like the interview process on page 90. And being all the way up to where we are at tonight is nothing but the first visit. Now, anytime that someone come and ask me to sponsor, I was just like, yeah, let's go, or I wouldn't, or whatever it may be. I had no idea that there was an entire process that I needed to go through here before I ever made that decision and that commitment. 
because a lot of times what would happen is I would go into the steps with them. And at this point, I was sober and I had good big book recovery. I'm not saying that. I did. But I was still not awake to self. I, I did not realize at the time that this is what was wrong with me. So usually when I would get up to here, I mean, I would be sponsoring guys because that's what I was told I had to do. You have to sponsor people. You have to, you have to, you have to. And what would happen is after a while, I'd get frustrated. Other defects of character would start showing up. For me, it was the lust. That stuff just wore me out. But I really believe in all of my experience, the only thing that saved me in all of those years is I had a passion to continue working with others as I had been taught. And I watched a lot of people get sober, and they're still sober today by God's grace as a result of doing the work in the book. But looking back at it now, there is so much more here. And what I've learned is when I start adding to this, and I start thinking I've got a little bit better way than I was shown, or this, is, this would work a whole lot better for these guys if I would do this, this, or this, then I'm not doing it the way that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous lays it out to be done. I'm doing it my way. And that's very dangerous for people like us and them. So I'm going to stick to the directions that were written, the directions that have worked. And like I say, up to this point, we, we read from page 89 over to 96. This is just the first visit. Now we're going to fall into the second visit. So at this point, if I've agreed to sponsor the man, these are the directions that I'm going to need in order to do that. And I want to make sure that I go through this with somebody who's already been through it before me so that he can break down his experience and help me to understand it so that I have a better chance at being successful at sponsoring somebody. Now, people say, oh, well, that's all on God anyway. Well, yeah, it is. There's no doubt about that. But knowledge is not ignorance. What I do with knowledge is what makes it ignorant. If I depend on it more than I depend upon God, then yes, that's ignorant. So tonight, we're going to start on page 96. For those that come in late, we're in the middle of the page, and it says, suppose now you're making your second visit to a man. Well, suppose you are. <laughs> there may be a good chance that I'm not. When I do that interview on page 90, that's going to tell me all I need to know whether or not I'm going to sponsor that man. I'm not committed to that until I say, yes, I will take you through this process. And if I say those words, then these words right here come into play. Suppose now that I'm making a second visit to a man. He's read the volume and says he's prepared to go through the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Now, most people that I sponsor already have a lot of years in the program. They're just having a lot of trouble in the program. Now they're sober in the fellowship and they got a lot of time behind them. And that's the same way I was at 25 years. I, I was still a very sick man. I just was. Now, I, now you wouldn't have known that if I came to one of your meetings, I would have talked so pretty and all this and that and all this wonderful stuff. But if you had seen what was going on in my life outside, you would have very much knew what was happening. So it says here, haven't had the experience yourself. Now that's assuming you had. And I'm not just saying because you worked 12 steps and had an aha moment, but you're still wrestling with lust or food or whatever it may be, depression or sadness or whatever, and fighting that every single day. If I've had this experience and I have awakened from self, look at what this sentence says. You can give him much practical advice. Now, I've always heard in Alcoholics Anonymous and different fellowships ever since I've been coming to them for 28 plus years now. We never, ever, ever give advice, ever. That's not what my book says right here. It says, if I have had this 
experience and I have awakened from self, I can give a man much practical advice. And I very much believe that. Let him know you're available if he wishes to make a decision. We know that to be our third step now. Tell his story. We like to do that in the fourth and fifth step. And I'll get into a big story, but look at what created the story to begin with. But it says, do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. It's spiritual arrogance to demand that they do this with me. We've already agreed to this. This is the way it is. You already said that you wanted to work with me, and I've agreed, yada, yada. At this point, if he prefers to work with somebody else, that's absolutely okay with me today. I mean, I am just all right with that. Now, it says you may be broke and homeless. Most of us are when we get here, especially, you know, in AA, a lot of us. And if he is, you might try to help him about getting a job or give him a little financial assistance. Now, I've fell into that before. You have, For me, I had to be very careful with that. Because whenever I start to do that, then they begin to depend more upon me for what it's about to describe here. And so I've had some experiences that wasn't that good with that. I don't like really helping a guy get a job. I will if I can put in a good word, but I'm not going to lie today. I mean, if he's had a bad work history, I'm not going to tell you, yeah, he's a pretty good old boy. You ought to give him a chance. Yada, yada. You know, I'm just going to tell him the truth and they can make the decision from there. Doesn't mean that I don't want him to have that. It just means that I'm not going to lie about it. And so that's something I wouldn't have ever done before. But it says, do not deprive your family or your creditors of money that they should have. And there's a lot of stories, you know, in the big book, in the 12 and 12, you know, one time, you know, times were really hard and Bill was riding the subway home and he reached into his pocket, and gave a $5 bill to a man now in the 1930s, $5 bill in the depression era was, has <laughs> a lot of money. And when he got there to the group that night, he couldn't put but a couple of dimes in the basket. And so, you know, for me, I don't try to lend a man money anymore. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to give the man money. Because I don't want that responsibility of, hey, you didn't pay me back. It's going to fall into a resentment. It's going to, you know, it's, it's just not good for me. So either I'm going to give it to him or I'm not going to give it to him. Uh, you know, it's, but it says, you know, that I shouldn't deprive my family or my creditors of money they should have. And I just don't do that. And so perhaps you'll want to take the man into your home for a few days. That's not as common in my area anymore as it was at one time. You know, we have done that here. A couple of times and, and I just don't find that very good practice. You know, I just I, I don't care to do that. Now that was a pretty common thing in the nineteen thirties because if you look at page one fifty-five in this book real quick, let's just if you would hold your place there and jump over to page one fifty-five. This is where Bill Wilson met Dr. Bob. And he ended up staying with Dr. Bob for a good length of time. And on the bottom paragraph, it says, being intrigued, however, he invited our friend to his home. And sometimes later, just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. For him, it was a spree that ended all sprees. So if you look at that in reverse, and, and I do when I read this book now, I don't want to have to deal with a man that's in my home who goes on a roaring bender because I gave him financial assistance and shelter when he should have been out looking for a job. And, you know, so I, I try to use good common sense there, but most of all, I try to lead off with prayer and follow spirit and let God tell me how I should, what I should do there. 
It says, be sure you use discretion and be certain he'll be welcomed by your family. There was a time in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous in the 90s whenever it didn't matter. If I said that someone was coming to our house to say, that's just the way it was. I felt like my word was the final word. I'm the man of the house. I, I don't feel that way anymore. There's someone else that lives here besides me. And she's got just as much say here as I do. I'll guarantee you. And if she says, you know, we're not going to do that, then, you know, we're, we're going to talk or whatever and come to a conclusion. But chances are we're probably not going to do that. I think some of these fellows were talking about this before the meeting started. And I very much enjoyed hearing that conversation. Happy wife, happy life, right? Sound like you had a pretty good sponsor to me. You better hang on to him. So, <laughs> so anyway, be certain that he'll be welcomed by your family and he's not trying to impose upon you for money, connections, or shelter. That's hard to do sometimes when you see somebody down on their luck and, and you have to turn them away because they're not doing what they agreed to do. That's a hard thing to do. I don't like putting myself in that situation. I definitely don't like putting my family in that situation. Permit that and you'll only harm. People used to say, oh, you can't harm the drunk. If he goes drink, you know, whiskey will chase him back this. It tells me right here, that'll harm me. If I do that, that'll harm me. You'll be, and here's why, you'll be making it possible for him to be insincere. And I think sincerity is a big part of, of what we do here. It's that change of heart, change of man. And I think that, you know, a lot of times I will go to prayer with these things. And I'll ask God to, to guide and direct me. And a lot of times I'll make the wrong decision. Well, I don't think it's because God is trying to punish me. I think there's a lesson to be learned there. And I've had to learn quite a few. And so you, be, you may be aiding in his destruction rather than his recovery. Because what my experience has been with this is a lot of people begin to do this. They really don't want to go to meetings. You know, I'm kind of tired. You know, I've been out looking for a job all day. And whatever you know i just want to get a shower and kind of rest a little bit and it's like no and dude you need to be in a meeting the same thing same as we uh agreed on when you came here and so there again it's hard for me to allow somebody to live in the home but it does say never avoid these responsibilities but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them now assumptions made by me if i'm connected in the power of spirit usually is a very good thing. I don't seem to have a lot of trouble there. But if I'm assuming the right thing based on self and not really knowing that, and the wrong thing ends up happening, that's going to be why. I'm going to see that self was the one who was leading out on that. And so be sure to do the right thing if you assume them. Be sure you're doing the right thing. Helping others is the foundation stone of our recovery. Now, we've talked about stones all the way through this thing. On page 47. In the uh, second step, we talked about the cornerstone. Let's just hold our place and run back over there real quick for just a second. It talks about the cornerstone. And so these stones are very important because it tells us that we're building an arch through which we shall walk a free man. Now, is that from drugs and alcohol and lust and acting out and over and under eating and all this stuff? That's the reward, yeah. But we're walking through this arch to become a free man from self. And when I become free from self, those things are not possible. They're not present. They're just not. So if you look down about the middle of page 47 there of the second paragraph, it says, as soon as a man can say that he does believe, now that's the agnostic, 
or he's even willing to believe that's the atheist. We emphatically assure him on his way has been repeatedly proven among us that up on the simple cornerstone, a wonderful, effective spiritual structure can be built. And we're seeing that happen now in step 12. And if you'll jump over to page 62 for just a second at the very bottom, this is where he talks about the um, keystone. And this is probably the most important stone in the entire art. And it says, you know, the last couple of sentences, you know, most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of new and triumphant arts through which we passed to freedom. So over here in helping our brother, our sister, whatever it is, now the foundation stone has been laid. The arch is coming together and we're really beginning to walk a free man from self. And so as you'll look at the example here on the screen, look at the foundation, look at the cornerstones, look at the keystone in the middle, which is step three, cornerstones down at the bottom, which is step two, and look at the stones built to make this arch. And on the other side of that is freedom from self. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you for putting that on the screen. So it says that a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. Now, I used to think that was enough. But I'm beginning to see now that, <laughs> that it really isn't. It says you have to act, not think, but act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. A lot of times I'd sit around and think about being the Good Samaritan really wouldn't do anything. and wonder why life was still somewhat unsatisfied. I still felt empty. Well, I'm not taking any action based on that thought. I'm just thinking. And that's not good enough for me. And it says every day if need be, not once in a while, not here and there, uh, every day. So it says that we may mean the loss of many nights sleep. Man, I've had a bunch of those. Great interference to your pleasures, definitely. Interruptions to your business. Ever have a drunk call you up while you're at work or an addict? Or it may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives. Now, I see a lot of this in the essay fellowship, that sentence right there. Relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospital, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say that she's neglected. Now, I can remember that, you know, it's always been my passion to work with a lot of people ever since I first got sober back in the 90s. I've always had that passion. I mean, I remember working night shift on a drilling rig in the oil fields, and that was a hard job. It was very physical. It was very laboring. It was very tough. And I would work a 12-hour shift all night on that. And then I'd go by a man's house in the morning. We would read this book together. Then I come home, I get a few hours sleep, I get up, go to a meeting, work with some other people, do this and that. I would come in in the evening, I'd be on the phones with, with drunks or whatever and this and uh, all through this. And at the end of the night, give her a quick piss and go to bed and tell her I love her. Well, why wouldn't she say that she was neglected? She absolutely was. And that's just not how I live my life today. After five o'clock my time, people have, you know, they've had remarks about that in the past. Hey, you know. You got banker's hours as a sponsor, huh? Well, I don't, I don't care what you call it. I know that one thing she's not saying she's neglected today because of those reasons. That's for sure. Because after five o'clock my time, I, unless it's a 911, there's a lot of other people in, in the fellowship that can take a phone call. And I encourage my guys to do that. It says a drunk may smash the furniture in your home, burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. And I've had to do that on several occasions. And of course, that's in my nature anyway. So, you know, for me, for a long time, that really wasn't a big deal. I enjoyed doing that. But I don't enjoy doing that no more. I don't like to fight anymore. I really don't. 
I was in an argument just the other day and, and I was really holding some inward stuff there. And, and, you know, that I just didn't feel good about that at all. I just didn't. And sometimes you can be right and still be wrong. And that was one of those cases. And so I don't like that. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. I don't get into that. I'm a recovering drug addict. I don't need to be doing stuff like that. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. I've had to do that. Occasionally you will have to, you will meet such conditions. Really AA for me is not a place I go. It's a place I live and I live inwardly from in here with that. Now there's been times whenever I've had to go to somebody's work and try to help them out, go to court. There's been a lot of people that go to court and, you know, throw down a button down shirt, go in with him, sit there. At least he's got some kind of support. So there are things that, you know, we do for each other. And as a sponsor, I'm just not going to do all those things and put it in front of my family. Not now. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our home for very long at a time. It's not good for him. And it sometimes creates serious complications in the family. I've got a hundred experiences behind that. It's just not a good idea. Though an alcoholic does not respond, there's no reason why you should neglect his family. I think once that I end a relationship with my sponsees, that pretty much ends it with the families or whatever. Uh, you know, I just don't try to continue to hang around. There was one person, you know, and it was a woman and, and her son was, you know, a chronic drug addict and she had been so beaten down by the disease and never used a day in her life. And I did, you know, I, I would try to talk with her once in a while and stuff like that. But as a rule, I try to stay away from all of that. That's not a good idea for me. And so you should continue to be friendly with them. The family should be offered your way of life. This work that is outlined in the book, thank God that there are women now that can carry this message. And on all sides of it, we have people that we can turn to now. For a long time, I thought I'm the only one that can do this with people. I don't think that way no more. I guarantee I don't think that way no more. That got me in a whole lot of trouble with lust and acting out and all that stuff. I'm not into that. So they should be offered that way of life, and I'm going to do that. So I'm going to do that with somebody else. And there's a lot of women that are able to do that. Like I said, many of them are on this call. So should they accept and practice spiritual principles, the 12 steps as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. And even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. And that's a really hard thing because I know a lot of people that are doing that. And it's hard whenever the alcoholic still drinks or the addict still acts out. But the good news is, is the family gets better. Oh, there's nothing that I hate worse than being drunk or acting out and somebody else in the family growing more spiritually than me. Oh, that, that just wears me out. So for the type of alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. The men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. I need to get a job. I need to hurry up and get back to work. There's bills that's got to be paid. There's this, this, this. And I understand all that. But the chances are that if I go back before I get well from this, there's not going to be much of a job anyway because I'm going to put this to the side. You know, a guy one time told me, he said, David, we don't visit Alcoholics Anonymous and live in the world. We need to be living in Alcoholics Anonymous and visiting the world. And, and I've never really forgot that. And I've always tried. I've always tried to uh, to do that. So 
Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with these very things. When such action is warranted, we'll look closer at this in chapter 11. This may seem inconsistent, but we think it is not. But I think here's a very important sentence in this book. It's not the matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. And I don't think that always means money. I give a lot of my time, a lot of my time to others when they want it. I'm not going to track them down. I'm not going to hunt them down and say, you haven't called me. You haven't reached out to me. I'm just not going to do that. I mean, we've made the approach. We went through the steps or whatever it may be. We've started in the book. That's not my responsibility. That's theirs. That's a matter of giving rather than receiving. But if you'll hold your place there and you'll look at page 128 for just a second, it's going to support that right here. And this is something that we used in our old group with the broken bottle quite a bit. And at the very top of the page on 128, it says, given rather than getting will become the guiding principle. And so we know from our own experience and looking back at that book where the step that supports this the most is step three. This is where we really begin to learn how to give as we enjoy peace of mind. We felt new power flow in. And when we said the prayer, you know, of those that I would help of thy power, love, and way of life. You know, I'm making that commitment. I'm making that covenant with God right there to do that. And in order for me to do that, he will give me strength to walk on through the rest of the process, particularly the inventory. So that's a very important sentence for me in this book. It says, and here's why, because it often makes the difference between failure and success. If I'm wanting someone to give to me all the time, and may not give anything in return, the chances are I'm not going to be very successful at that. That's the old man that came in here with me. That's not the new guy that has emerged from the ashes of, through this process of the work. And so that's important for me. You know, I, I don't want to be a failure at this. I want to be a success. I want that success to be God. And if I'm coming from this place, then I know I'm on the right track. The minute we put our work on the service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. Anybody that has a sponsee that's ever done that, cling to them, just want to every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. You know, I've had guys, you know, and the way that I do the process is I will read somebody through the doctor's opinion, the first four chapters of the book, breaking it down very carefully, looking at the exercises in chapter four, which is two of them if you're, or three of them if you're a lust addict, it's four. And so when I do that, you know, I immediately from there take them over into chapter five of how it works. We look at three and we get started in four. And then I don't really so much talk to them as much as I did. Now I do, you know, a couple of times check in with them just to make sure that they're on the right track with the inventory. But from there, it's a process of them beginning to take what they've found in steps one, two, and three and rely more upon God than they do upon me. And, you know, I've had a lot of people really not want to do that. They still want to call every day. They still want to call, you know, every time something comes up, i got a question about this, this, this. Well, the good news is that there's other people. There's other people that have been through this process that can help. That's why I encourage everybody to get to Big Book Step Study meetings where this message is being outlined and laid out the way that we've been doing it here for 27 or 28 weeks now, because there's going to be somebody there that you can connect with. And when those times come and nobody's available, you'll always be able to reach somebody. So it's, it's very important that I rely upon God rather than I do the assistance of man. I know my sponsor 
there was just no way that I was going to call him all the time, every time something came up, you know. So I had to learn to step outside of that box and begin to call other people. So he clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol, sex, drugs, lust, whatever it may be, until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife. We simply do not stop drinking, acting out, whatever it may be, so long as we place the dependence up on people ahead of the dependence up on God. That includes my sponsor. That includes meetings. That includes my wife. That includes anything and anyone. And when I rely more upon those things, and I got to have those for support, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying just throw all that stuff away and go on and good luck with, with me and God or you and God. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying when I go to relying on that more than I do upon God, then I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. And that's been my experience for sure. So it's not based on circumstance. It's based on spirit. And it keeps telling us that over and over and over here. Burn into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone, even me. <laughs> get well. What? How crazy is those two words, get well? I heard in the fellowship, when you came here, you don't ever get well. You get better, but you don't ever get well. That's the biggest lie in the fellowship, because according to my book right here, you, we very much get well. If we don't, what, what am I doing here? Just hoping for the best? I don't think so. Tells me right there, he can get well regardless of anyone. But there is a condition, and that's that he trusts in God and clean house. And there's a lot of house cleaning to be done. Step four is a big one, a big one, the way that we do it through this process here. Step five, we still find that we're somewhat asleep when we go into the fifth step with somebody. When they start breaking down those truths and asking those questions, it, it opens that door, and it's just like, wow. We begin to have a new experience from there. But then we have to go to amends a little while after that. And so there's another, another round of house cleaning that comes. And so if it was easy, everybody would do it. But, you know, it's just not. So, you know. I like what it says in that sentence, and I'll repeat it again. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. We're not in the higher power business, or we shouldn't be. As sponsors, I think sometimes we try to take that role on. We want them to do what we say to do whenever we say to do it, this, this, and this. And I'm not really interested in all that. There's only one thing that I'm interested in, and that's if a man continues to do the work. 10 and 11 every day, no days off on that. Do the process, do the reading, show up on time. When you're in the inventory, do the writing. Do what we agreed to do. That's the only thing that I ask. Now, I've had a lot of guys fall short. They fall out. They relapse, especially with lust. I'll continue to try to work with them, especially, you know, keeping them in self-examination, prayer and meditation. And I'll continue to try to work with them. But at some point, if they can't or won't get sober, then there's no point in moving on through the process. At that point, we have to let them go. And I know a lot of people don't like doing that, and a lot of people, nobody has to do that. But that's my experience. I'm not going to continue to hang around with the sickness. You know, I'm, I'm looking for somebody who's 100% willing to go through this work and, like it said right there, get well. So now the domestic problem, anybody other than me had any of that whenever they got here? How about after you've been here for a long time, still got some of it going on? Page 80 talks about this quite a bit. And so that's really not a part of the book that I like to read a whole lot, <laughs> you know, about. 
page 80, if you would, hold your place right there, drop to the bottom of page 80. And let's see if anybody has had any of these troubles other than me. Chances are we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if this respect of alcoholics and addicts are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking and acting out does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years, she gets worn out. The wife gets resentful and communicative. How could she be anything else? We begin to feel lonely and sorry for ourselves, and we begin to act out in different places. And so, you know, it comes back to it over here again. It says, now the domestic problem. There may divorce, be divorce separation or just strained relations. I guarantee every one of us has either had that or we're going through that or have just recently went through that. Most of the people I know anyway, when your prospect has made such reparations as he can to the family and has thoroughly explained to them the new principles by which he's trying to live. I have a lot of guys that I work with that'll come back to me and they'll say, Hey man, you know, I can't really, you know, meet at the times that we talked about, or at least not all the time because I need to spend time with family. Well, I think that's a very admirable and honorable thing to do. But about three weeks ago, how much time was you spending with them during this time, during this exact time that we were supposed to meet? What were you doing during those times? Well, chances are we were acting out or doing whatever we wanted to do. So now that we're over here on this side, all of a sudden you can't meet to work on your recovery. You need to be with the family. I understand you need to go be with your family, do that. But you and I are not going any further in this book. And, uh, and that's just the way that, that I work with it. So I see that, you know, a lot of people fail to thoroughly explain to them the new principles by which they're living. They just want to go say, Hey, you know, I'm back into the meetings. I'm going to meetings. Now. Well, most people have a bitter taste in their mouth about meetings. Most wives that I know, because a lot of us have been to meetings every day, every time the door is open. And it's not unusual for a lust addict to act out inside of the meetings. <laughs> I know it wasn't for this one. And so it's, you know, it's just, it's not a good business to try to get into. But if I go to her and I talk to her about the new principles by which I'm trying to live, I've found a man that's put me into the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous again. He's showing me things after all these years that I didn't know. He's showing me prayer work in the inventory. There's places that I got to stop and do prayer work. He's showing me that I don't have to write about all the people that I've ever slept with in my entire life. The only thing I need to do is write about my conduct. He has showed me how to take 100 fears and, and boil them down to 12 basic ones. He showed me how to write about each one of those. Now I'm beginning to learn to outgrow fear. I'm not acting with own conduct anymore. I'm not resenting people the way that I did. I'm feeling better. Now, when I go to the meetings, I got something to give rather than to get like it talked about. A guy told me, he said, you know, whenever you get to the point to where you can go to a meeting to see what you can give rather than what you can get, then you're on the right track at the meetings. It took me a long time to really understand that, but I thoroughly understand it today. So, very good information here. I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. It says he should proceed to put those principles into action at home. Remember back on page 19 of the book, this was thoroughly talked about. Let's just go ahead and take a trip over there right quick. If you would just hold your place right there. First full paragraph, page 19. 
None of us make a sole vocation of this work, nor do we think its effectiveness would be increased if we did. We don't care if you're out here reading the book with somebody every day, every day, every day, all day, every day. It doesn't matter. The effectiveness of this message is not going to be increased, whether we do that or whether we don't. It says, we feel that elimination of our drinking and acting out is but a beginning, a much more important demonstration, not a conversation, a demonstration of our principles lie before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. And for me, it's in that order. And so back where we were on 98, it says he should proceed to put those principles into action at home. That's if he's lucky enough to even have a home. Many of us come in here without that in the very beginning. Though the family may be at fault in many respects, he should not be concerned about that. Boy, that's a hard thing to do for most of us. I'm quick to come want to tell everybody how she's been wrong. She don't really understand me. If she had went through what I went through as a kid, she'd understand more of what I had to go through. All the times I've been to jail and, and all this and that, you know, well, whose fault was that? You know, I need to take a look at how self set me up for that. It, and I love this right here. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. My sponsor told me after you take step three and you give your will in life to God, it's none of your damn business what happens to you from there. And boy, I didn't like that. I didn't want to hear that at all. But he was absolutely right. What happened to me from there? And I made that my business. Things would have never worked out the way that they have today. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. Argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. We see that in step four. Now, we know what the plague is. We went through, <laughs> we went through that over the last few years, all of us. The plague will kill our ass. It just will. And that says that argument and fault finding are to be avoided like that. The one step that helps me with that more than any other step is step 10 in a way that's outlined on page 84 in the book. It just is. There's five things it asks me to do. And if I'm doing that on a daily basis, I promise you. I'm keeping a check on these emotions, on these thoughts before they become actions. And I'm not going to have to do that. I'm avoiding it like the plague. In many homes, this is a difficult thing to do, but it must be done. It must be done if any results are to be expected. It persisted in for a few months. And for me, it didn't even take that long persisting in that with this 10th step. The effect on a man's family is sure to be great. Now, what a wonderful thing once I started practicing step 10, I can guarantee you it's because of step 10 that I have a home today, that I have a wife today, that I have brothers and sisters today. It's because of that step, because that keeps me right-sized. That keeps David in check. Not only did I get to recover from alcohol, drugs, lust, sex, I got to recover from self, and I got to recover from David. That's a whole other story, but man, I tell you what a powerful thing that is. And I tell you with that too, is one of the things that I begin to notice is those unseen defects of character. You ever not say anything to anybody, but silently be wanting to choke them out or a lot of those things right there, you know, a lot of those unseen defects of character, you know, I have to practice step 10 on those just as much as I do the ones that pop up out outside of me. So the most incompatible person, people discover that they have a basis upon which they can meet. Little by little, the family may see their own defects and admit them. These then can be discussed in an atmosphere of helpfulness and friendliness. After they have seen tangible results, that 10th and 11th step, I'm telling you, it's amazing to start with a guy from there from day one to let him hold on to that as we walk him through the rest of the process and watch 
that's a beautiful thing after we've seen tangible results and the family has seen this a lot of them will want to go along these things will come to pass naturally in good time but there is a condition provided however the alcoholic continues to demonstrate <laughs> not always conversate but demonstrate that he can be sober considerate helpful regardless of what anyone says or does i've had people say a lot of things but that is the new man that emerged right there in me but of course we all fall much below this standard I like to say it like this, we don't become Jesus. So we all fall below this standard many times, but we must try to repair the damage immediately. Remember, that's part of our 10th step, make amends quickly, quickly. At least we pay the penalty by spree. So that'd be a good place for us to stop. And, uh, you know, I'm just really glad to come out and share experience, strength, and hope. And like I said at the beginning of the meeting, if your sponsor tells you something different on how than you've heard here tonight, I encourage you go with your sponsor, do what they say to do. This is my experience, strength and hope through the book. And it's worked very well. I don't plan to stop it anytime soon. So Ashley Dennis, thank you for your service. And it's good to be here tonight. Thanks. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength and hope. Hi, uh, thank you so much, David. Wow. I'm really seeing that I'm sober off lust, but I'm a mess with self. I'm a mess with self. I'm seeing that now, and it's an amazing awakening. I've never gotten that. So I'm, I'm blessed to be here, just blessed to be here. Thank you so much. Scott, I'm really grateful you're here, brother, and uh, I know exactly where you're at with that. That's exactly where I found myself. Of course, I was many years, you know, later discovering that. But um, but I'm truly glad that you're here, and I hope that you uh, come here, join our WhatsApp group, man. Get into Big Book Step Study meetings. Reach out. There's several guys uh, on there that have been through this process, man, and we'd love to connect with you and help you walk this road and get free of that. So, thanks again for coming tonight. Thank you. Page 98 when it says. We simply do not stop drinking so as long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence upon God. And like I was taught that this book doesn't teach me how to stop drinking. It teaches me how to connect to the power. And once I connect to that power, everything's different. I'm placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I'm no longer doing anything except being a service and taking inspiration and leading from God. And that's my job every morning I wake up, get up. Thank you, God, for your power. And uh, but just to continue to do that work with that, I'll pass. No, I just want to say thank you, Dennis, for all your service and all that you do, brother, the way that you sponsor, man. It's, you know, it's it's great. Uh, it's, it's been a great pleasure, uh, you know, walking in this journey with you these last three years. It's been really good, man. So uh, I love you, man. I love you, too, David. And I, I thank you so much. And I thank God for you coming into my life. Thank you, David, for for this study. Uh, there was there was a few things in there that uh, you had mentioned uh, that they say around uh, the AA uh, meeting rooms that uh, is just not true, and uh, I'm I'm glad that you pointed that out. Uh, it's uh, been very helpful for me. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, David, for everything you're doing here. This is a great uh, great meeting tonight. You know, what I would comment on in my experiences, uh, this process of learning 
to, I don't know whether balance is the right word, but I'll use it in lieu of not having another word that comes to mind. Balancing this time spent working with others, time going to meetings, time doing service with family. And uh, that's, that's been a major change for me that's been taking place over the last year. Uh, I'll give you an example. Today, um, I was on a meeting uh, with, our, with our mutual friend, Paul H., and uh, won't go any further than that, but he's doing a, something about a couple hours east of me on Saturday that I would really like to go to attend. And in the past, I would have just told my wife, hey, we got this thing to go. Come on, we're going to go to it. She's not involved in this. This is not her life. And it was interesting that today I walked in and said, there's something I would be interested in. You might not be interested in. You might be, I don't know, but it's happening this Saturday. Just think about it. Let me know if, if you'd like to go. I said, I'm not going to go without you. Just let me know if this would make sense for you. And I was like, I could tell there's a radical interchange inside going on when, uh, when I just being able to take her into consideration, her, her needs her desire. So, you know, page 19 is right on, right on the money. You know, a much more important demonstration takes place at home. If you're in business, takes place in business or just when you're driving on the road. So that's, uh, I've learned a lot from you, David, and uh, I appreciate you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you as well, Jason. Uh, I love you, man. Uh, it's good to to be walking, you know, this path with you as well and all the work that you do and the things that you do to step up for each meeting to to speak at Big Book Step Studies and, and all the things that you do. I, I think one of the things that a lot of us forget, or I know I did for sure, is there's another part to this step. And it talks about practicing the principles in all of our affairs. And for so long, I didn't know how to do that. Anytime we talked about step 12, it was only about working with someone else. That's all we ever talked about. And so, you know, we're starting to fall in to that part of the book now that is going to give us, you know, pretty uh, specific instructions on how to do that. Now, I think Jason just gave a, a beautiful outline of how that is to be done in all 12 steps. You know, when I can see that I'm powerless over whatever situation that's going on between she and I. And I come to I don't take action based on that, but I come to believe that something could restore me to sanity if I would just take a moment to pause and connect with that power like Dennis was talking about. Then I've exercised the first two principles, one and two. And when I make that decision to go to prayer rather than to turn to self and attack and say, hey, you know, you never want to be a part of this anyway. If you had, it, you know, none of that. Just leave that stuff out like he described there. Then, you know, I practice step three. And if there is some irritation comes up, hey, you know, we post that in a 10 step. We take a look at it. And that's, you know, practicing four. And then, you know, if it, if it becomes very harmful or, or too irritating or aggravating, then I'm going to talk to somebody about that. Well, that's the practice of step five. And then six and seven is where I begin to change my mind. And then eight and nine is like what he talked about. Instead of taking action, he went back to her and said, this is what I would like to do rather than, hey, this is what we're going to do. And that's such a difference. And so for me, practicing the principles are so important in this deal. And, you know, and I know a lot of people say, well, one is 
this and two is hope and three is that. That's all well and good. But Bill said, you know, in the 12 and 12, that, that the steps are a set of principles designed not only to get us sober, so that, but that we can be whole and that we can connect, you know, with, with God and man. And that's exactly what we've been able to do here. It's a beautiful process and one I'm so grateful that I didn't miss and, and have had the opportunity to pass on to a whole lot of people. And I definitely uh, have uh, no, there's no thought of slowing up on that anytime soon. I have balanced that out. I've changed that around. I don't take on so many guys. This time last year, I was taking about 20, 30 men through this process, the work and the book. My job allowed me to do that. But even at that, you know, I'm not giving my job 100%. So I had to really back up on that. I got really sick and <clears throat> a lot of things changed. But I think, you know, I can work with all the people I want. But if I'm not demonstrating these principles in all of my affairs as to the best of my ability, then I fell short with step 12. I definitely have. And so thank God that we get we get chances to repeat that over and over and over. So really good shares tonight. I'm glad to be here.